Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day this last day of June. We have lots to talk about. We'll be joined by Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We'll talk about the start of USMCA tomorrow. We'll talk about waters of the U.S., a number of other issues with Colin Woodall. Also, we'll talk weather with Dennis Toddy, director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. As rain moves across parts of the Midwest, other parts of the country are still concerned about drought. We'll talk with Dennis about his July and summer forecasts and what conditions he's seeing and trends and patterns that are catching his attention. And big news yesterday, Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days canceled for this summer. Let's start off uh, with Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Todd, thank you for joining us. Two more big events uh, for this summer canceled now. And and really, I, I saw a lot of reaction from people, you know, just talking about you know, their summer plans, you know, just not going to be the same this year and how, how they were looking forward to seeing each other and getting back together, and it's just not going to happen this at these two events. And I guess not surprising when we saw the uh, uptick in the uh, the positive virus cases. Yeah, Mike, absolutely. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, we're kind of, we've been in uncharted territory most of 2020 at this point when it comes to this pandemic. And I think uh, a lot of people still aren't real clear as to what's safe and what isn't safe. Uh, you know, there's just been a lot of conflicting information from the get-go about, uh, you know, how we're to handle our day-to-day lives and how we can remain uh, safe and, uh, you know, the things that we should or shouldn't do. And, I, you know, it, it's, really, uh, it's really a tough thing because, you know, this time of the year, uh, you know, we're past, we're past the planting and, uh, you know, it's kind of become a typical, uh, it's become a, you know, something that farmers look forward to. You know, these shows are kind of a big deal. You know, they want to get out and about and see the latest equipment and do all the things that they do and talk to folks. And I, I think that, you know, it's really a shame. It's uh, it's really become a tradition. You know, it's first time here in Nebraska that Husker Harvest Days won't be happening. So it's uh, uncharted waters, I guess. Matt Youngman, National Show's Director for Farm Progress, will join us later in the program and give us, uh, you know, a kind of a behind-the-scenes look at what went into the decision and where they go from here. They're planning on some virtual uh, tours and things yeah. like that. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later in today's program. Meanwhile, the push continues on uh, to put pressure on EPA to reject these 52 small refinery exemption requests from as far back as 2011 we have uh, senators pressing to have these rejected we have governors pressing to get them rejected uh, senator joni ernst uh, threatening to hold up nomination uh, the approval of a nomination for deputy at the epa uh, so i mentioned this yesterday the political stakes the political pressure on this decision getting hotter and higher all the time yeah, Mike, it's extremely important. I mean, we're at a we're at kind of a precipice here. Um, you know, if these 52 waivers go through, that's another estimated two billion gallons of biofuel demand that would be out the window. Um, I really think, though, when you when you look down the road, I I don't know that EPA 
based on the court ruling from that Tenth Circuit ruling, uh, would be able to approve these because the court was very clear uh, that the agency had overstepped. Um, some of the refiners in question in that lawsuit hadn't even received a waiver to allow them to be able uh, to continue on in future years as a waiver. Uh, you know, it's an interesting tack by the oil industry to come through and and request uh, these retroactive waivers. But um, it's it's uh, I, I think if, if this keeps going the way it's going, I you know obviously there's going to be more court issues and more challenges that, uh, to come, but um it really is i mean this is this is kind of the kind of an important point for uh, for trump and his re-election here in rural america this is a huge issue and uh it's no wonder everybody's coming out and uh, having their voices heard at the moment yeah as i said yesterday it's certainly not the only issue on people's minds but it will be a big one for as you said rural america and which way they may vote and that's a a, right. a core base for president trump and this is a issue that could tip it, you know, the other way. The other thing uh, I think to watch here, I kind of expect, based on what they've done in the past, EPA and the administration to try to find some way to, at least in their minds, appease both sides of this. And that really hasn't worked so far, but that's been their track record. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. I think the EPA, the reason we're not hearing from the EPA uh, you know, and they've been putting this off and putting it off is that very issue. It's uh, It's been a real situation uh, for this agency and for the administration between the oil industry and the ethanol industry trying to please both sides. And I I don't know how that happens at this point. It's kind of an either or at the moment, um, especially when it comes to the small refinery waivers. I think that from the beginning, it's just been a political, uh, political hotspot. And I think, uh, you know, if the CPA can find a way that makes sense you know more power to them but this is a really really tough issue to do that yep so we'll keep a close watch on that meanwhile tomorrow the start of usmca wasn't that long ago this was one of the biggest stories we talked about (laughs) it's still a big story and there are some bumps in the road but uh it's certainly not at the uh the top of the list of uh news events that we're (laughs) talking about right now no not at all but you're right i mean we've got uh you know, that agreement that the farmers have been waiting on for quite some time, and uh, it definitely has some benefits to it. I, I think any uh, any good news we can get at the moment in this industry is, you know, highly welcomed, but uh, it's going to take some time to play out. You know, this is July 1st, and uh, I would suspect that maybe by the end of the year we might be seeing some of the, some of the benefits of this agreement, although there's so many other things uh, that's kind of weighing on the industry. It, it really makes it difficult to see how, uh, you know, how big of a deal this is going to be initially. But definitely long-term, this is this will be a good thing. Yeah, we'll keep, uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, because, and we'll talk more about it with Colin Whittall from NCBA here in, in just a moment. But meanwhile, what do you think? There's a, we have a, a congressman saying, let's rewrite the farm bill uh, next year, uh, this year <laughs> or next year. Can you imagine uh, opening that up right now? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I don't think that's going to happen you know it's an interesting interesting thought though you know considering the way things have changed what the challenges this industry faces it it's uh you look back on the, the most recent agreement and there's a lot of things in there that was that were good at the time uh things have changed you know we've seen so much happen uh while it's a good thought i, I do think that you know being this is an election year and, and on and on it's just not going to happen 
Yeah, I can't imagine it. it I mean, when you think of what what they go through to get one written in the first place, uh, trying to start one early, wow, that really make it challenging. Uh, not to say things yeah. aren't constantly changing and adjustments that could always be made, but uh, the, the that's a that might be a case that the cure might be worse than the sickness <laughs> if they opened that back up and got into it. <laughs> Todd, good to talk with you. Take care and have a good Fourth of July. You too, Mike. Thanks. Uh, Todd Neely, DTN reporter. All right, number of things uh, we want to get some thoughts on from Colin Whittall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He joins us next here on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always good to talk things over with the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. Colin, good to talk with you again. How you been? I've been well, Mike. It's good to be on with you. Yeah, we had a lot of things to cover. Get your thoughts on a lot of different things. First of all, we'll start with uh, the startup of USMCA tomorrow. I mentioned this earlier wasn't that long ago this was one of the top things we talked about and we aren't talking nearly as much about it now it's still important there have been a few bumps along the way here as we get ready for the uh the official start um your thoughts as we get ready to enter the new agreement we're just glad to finally have some certainty and that's what USMCA is really all about for those of us in the beef business right now it's because it really didn't make any big changes in terms of our access to Canada and Mexico as compared to what we had under NAFTA but what it did bring was the certainty that we're going to be able to maintain those relationships because Canada and Mexico continue to be two of the top five markets for the export of US beef and we need to make sure that we can have that ability to move product, especially right now when we're trying to move as much product as we can to clear out the backlog of finished cattle that are ready to be harvested. So to be able to move more product internationally will help us do that. As I mentioned, there have been a few bumps uh, here's leading up to this. Are you at all concerned about uh, it being fulfilled as written? No, we're not. When you look at the provisions that we have worked on, uh, they're basically the provisions that we were already dealing with for the most part. So I don't think there's going to be anything that's going to throw us loop for uh, the the specific beef and in, in cattle um, issues. But you know, overall, is there a, a bigger issue that could come our way that could derail everything? Well, as you look at what we have dealt with throughout 2020, anything is possible. We always have to be prepared. But as of right now, things look pretty good, and we're excited about this going into full effect tomorrow. Let's talk about the new Waters of the U.S. Uh, rule in effect for 49 of the 50 states, only Colorado being the exemption at, at this point. Uh, are you happy with the, the new rule? We are supportive of the navigable waters protection rule. That's what is now being called for years. Everybody called it WOTUS. And, uh, but unfortunately, I think WOTUS kind of got that negative connotation because we spent all of our time trying to kill the 2015 Obama-era rule that uh, would have been a, a significant burden on agriculture and really would have been a land grab by the federal government. So to be able to finally be here and 
about a week now into uh, implementation of the new navigable waters protection rule is is a good thing. Now it's in place in 49 states. Colorado is the only state that's still operating under the uh, 1987 rule and the Rapanos guidelines. Um, so we still got some work there. It's not over because now it's turning from more of that legislative and regulatory fight into a legal fight, and there uh, continue to be lawsuits that are uh, filed, and I'm I'm sure more to be filed. But the thing that we have going for us, I believe, is that this navigable waters protection rule was. Uh, put on a much more solid foundation than the original WOTUS rule. So we have to be there. We have to participate and make sure that we can engage in uh, protecting EPA in this rule. But I think our chances of doing so are good. And if it goes to the EPA, or excuse me, if it goes to the Supreme Court, then that's probably even better because getting a Supreme Court guidance supporting the navigable waters protection rule would really solidify that for many years to come. You mentioned land grab. I know you're concerned about that with this Great American Outdoors Act. Well, this is something that it just continues to be an issue for us. And a portion of this Great American Outdoors Act is the Land and Water Conservation Fund, LWCF. Uh, this is a fund that allows the federal government to acquire more land, and that's the problem because the federal government does not have enough money to take care of the land that it currently has. There's a lot of good things in the Great American Outdoors Act, including trying to address the backlog of maintenance issues and parks, etc. But that shows very clearly why the federal government shouldn't be going and getting more land. So we were disappointed that that provision was included. That's why we have been against this particular piece of legislation, because right now they have not been able to show us that they can even maintain or take care of the land they've got, so why do we need to give them more? We're talking with Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. You are supporting the DIRECT Act. Tell us about that. The DIRECT Act, well, you know, this is uh, this is an interesting one that we're uh, uh, trying to, uh, to, to kind of figure out, uh, Mike. The, uh, the thing that we're dealing with right now is Trying to trying to figure out where where all legislation is going. We have so many pieces of legislation that are out there right now that it's it's hard to figure out which ones actually have a chance of being considered and which ones should uh, should go through the process. You know, uh, the House is not even back in person yet. Uh, we have spent most of our time this spring just worried about COVID response. We are into the the, the full scale of campaign mode as best as it can be in a, in a COVID world right now. And Congress is fast running out of time to do, to do anything. So I think outside of just simple appropriations, outside of determining what's going to happen with uh, the, the next tranche of, uh, of COVID response, any other piece of legislation right now is, is a talking point. It's a talking point for either a campaign or it is a talking point for uh, what, is, uh, what is next to come in the, in the next Congress. And uh, a lot of times that is what we see in election years, and I, and I think this year is no different. Yeah, the Direct Act, bipartisan legislation, would create new direct-to-consumer options for beef producers, processors, and small meat markets, and we'll see what comes of that. Uh, some action on the uh, Bureau of Land Management. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, this is actually trying to get some permanent leadership for BLM, the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, it's an agency that has a, a lot of influence on our industry because of the permits that many of our members use to graze that BLM land. And we have been without a, uh, a head of that agency for almost a year now. And it's time to get some permanent leadership in place because there's a lot of decisions that need to be made. And so we do finally have a nominee. William Pendley is his name. Uh, he has been basically serving in an, in an acting role for about a year now, uh, not quite. Uh, he has been with the agency uh, throughout this uh, administration, and, and we do believe that he is a good candidate. Now, uh, we know that uh, any uh, Department of Interior nominee is going to have a really tough confirmation hearing, but the fact that we do finally have a nominee is a good sign. We're supportive of him, and we're going to hope that we can get uh, him through the process as, as quickly as possible. Uh, again, much like my previous comments, there's a lot of uncertainty right now because nobody knows exactly what's going to happen on Election Day, which is one of the reasons why we need to get somebody in quick, because there may be some final decisions made, or this may be setting the stage for an additional four years. At this point in time, it's hard to tell, Mike. Um, have you heard anything on the investigation into cattle markets? Yeah, we have. Uh, it's, it is ongoing, and you know we have subpoenas out for data. Uh, USDA and the Department of Justice are coordinating on this, so it is uh, it is uh, actively being worked on. Uh, our message back to the administration continues to be: get this done just as quickly as we possibly can, because all of us are wanting to see what the results are. So, next step decisions can be made. You. Have they given you any timeline on this, any idea of when you might get uh, the results? No, they have not, and, and that's not surprising. You know, this is uh, an active investigation, and so they're not commenting much at all other than to let us know very clearly that they are working on this. Uh, you know, we need to make sure it's thorough. Uh, but we need to make sure that it's done in a timely manner. You know, one of the reasons why uh, this was attached to the ongoing investigation that was a result of the Holcomb fire last summer is because they hadn't wrapped it up. And while it did give us a vehicle to uh, uh, add the, the COVID market issues to it, uh, it, it shouldn't have been that case. We should have had the results of, of that particular investigation by the end of 2019, and that didn't happen. So we cannot, we cannot sit here and wait until the end of 2020 to know the results of this investigation. Too many things are uh, going to hinge upon us getting some definitive answers from DOJ and also understanding what next steps they may be taking. All right, Colin, thanks for the update. As you said, a lot of things going on, but uh, we'll see how much of it uh, actually there's any real action on. A lot of proposals right now in Washington, D.C., but uh, some of them probably aren't going to go anywhere until after the election. But uh, need to keep an eye on all of them. Colin, always good to talk with you. Have a good holiday, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Mike. Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Well, the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days for this year have been canceled. We'll talk it over with Matt Youngman, National Show's Director for Farm Progress. Get the very latest next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
So the announcement came yesterday afternoon that this year's Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa and Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska are canceled. Not totally surprising, but certainly disappointing. Let's talk about it with Matt Youngman, National Shows Director for Farm Progress. Matt, thanks for being with us. I I know this is not the news that you wanted to share. Uh, Tell us about what went into the decision, what the last uh, few days have been like coming to this decision. Well, it's been it's been quite a ride, Mike. You know, we I don't know. We were ten days, two weeks ago, having a conversation about how we were going to move forward with the events, and 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 we we had a plan, and we were going to charge forward. And realistically, while that that now in retrospect looks a little bit a little a little bit out of place, uh, it was a good thing that that we kind of laid our cards on the table and said we're, we're going forward, and and here's how, uh, because it 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 forced a lot of our partners to show their hands too. A lot of folks were just kind of letting things ride and, and, and not necessarily expressing all their concerns. But when we laid our cards on the table, um, you know, we started hearing from a lot of our stakeholders and, you know, whether that's the volunteer groups who started stepping away from the show, you know, we were, we were in a position where we weren't going to have realistically enough volunteers to, to operate the show or, you know, exhibitors of, of all shapes and sizes started, you know, expressing concerns and stepping away from the show. And, and what we were left with was um, a, a very real concern that even if we could safely operate the show and keep everybody safe, it wouldn't be a Farm Progress show or Husker Harvest Day that we could be proud of, that the, that the visitors would, would be satisfied with and that the exhibitors would be satisfied with. So taking all that into account um we we had to make the very difficult decision to step away from the live events this year we are we are we're moving forward with a virtual version of farm progress show and husker harvest days and we're we're you know learning quickly and developing the plan quickly on what that's going to look like i can't i can't necessarily speak specifically to what that's going to look like but you know we we're going to have a virtual replacement you can't you can't replace an in-person event but we're gonna we're gonna do our very best to, to to work at the core of the events and continue the traditions as much as we can with the events, and and have have as much virtual content as we can to 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 fulfill the mission, which is to get uh, our our farmers and ranchers together with their their product suppliers and and service providers. So you'll be announcing that soon. I mean, you still have crops to harvest, things like that at the show site. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the great thing is that, you know, we, so, so typically right about now you, you, you've been through this with us enough, Mike, you know, typically in the typical cycle right now is when we have the ceremonial shooting of the good idea fairy. When, when we, we set the plan and we just, we just charge forward and, and, and put the show together. Well, now the good idea fairy is alive and well you know we have 400 acres of corn at two sites we have 60 acres of alfalfa in grand island and we have the show sites and there's already a lot of trucking scheduled to to deliver equipment to boone and and grand island so we pulled everybody to keep the trucking plans together let's let's you know get get those machines tuned up let's mount cameras all over them um let's let's figure out how to have how to how to get as much content as we can and make a really robust uh, virtual virtual event. We're talking with Matt Youngman, National Show's Director for Farm Progress. Matt, over the years we've seen weather uh, 
changed the schedule for the Farm Progress Show and even Husker to some degree, but uh, no one could have foreseen something like this happening. No, and, you know, the the, the history of these shows goes back a, a long, long time, and the only time Farm Progress Show was completely canceled was 1986, and like you mentioned, that was that was weather-related. That was a great big storm that came through and wiped the show out just a day or two before the event was supposed to happen. And for Husker Harvest Day, there has never been a complete cancellation. You know, the, we've had we've lost a day here and there because of weather, but uh, you know, it goes against every everything in all of our beings as as event people that you know our our mantra is the show must go on, and and we we've, we've fought a lot of battles to pull off a show at times when maybe it didn't look like it was going to happen. And to, to cancel the shows when the calendar says June is just not something that we're built for. And it's, so it's been a, it's been quite a, quite a struggle and quite a battle. And, and, you know, there's, there's probably a little bit of relief that it's decided, but at the same time, it is not what we wanted to do and, and not, not something that we were, you know, this is not what we're built for. Were you ever told by government officials or health officials, were you ever told you could not have the shows or was it just strongly recommended to you not to have them? Or did you just look at what's going on and just feel that in the best interest of everyone, it just wouldn't be a good idea to have them? That that is is an excellent question and, and, and one that, that, that I am happy to answer. I will say that, um, Working with Governor Reynolds in Iowa and working with Governor Ricketts in Nebraska has been has been a wonderful experience uh, for for both of them. And and neither of them said you can't do this. You know the the the, the only thing that they said you know they they reviewed our plans and um, you know we were in contact with them, but none of them said we couldn't do it. And and so this was not a decision. This was not something that was forced at us by governmental officials local or state or federal uh this was just this was just us as a company laying out all the information that we had and make and and seeing the spikes in florida texas arizona um you know it it is a very quickly changing environment but you know you start there's 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 talk coming that if you go from one state to another there's a 14-day quarantine and and you know those kind of conversations getting started is not something that 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 works for a show that is that is national in scope or international in scope things are getting a lot better in hall county nebraska and that's great we don't want to be the reason that that there's some kind of outbreak you know they can we, we that's not the kind of media and the press that we want right before a bunch of farmers are about to climb into combines for six weeks we don't need them being sick right at that critical juncture in the year yeah because even if the numbers were good in those particular communities boone and and grand island and even in their counties you've got so many people coming from other places in and out of those shows that 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 increased the risk and and think about you know huskers two weeks after farm progress shows so if we did have some kind of some kind of infection at, at Farm Progress Show, two week two week incubation. We could be we could be taking you know there's a lot of us exhibitors and staff and everybody that that are at Farm Progress Show and then carry that over to Nebraska and and have a you know have a heck of an outbreak there. That that is just that is just too big of a risk to 
to to put on us, to put on our exhibitors, to you know, to have exhibitors mandating that people go to both shows and expose themselves. There was a lot of liability concerns, and you know, the the list it it just really quickly turns into a list that you just can't you can't fully overcome. So, Farm Progress Show will go back to Decatur, Illinois next year. Then, yes. So we have a lot of a lot of contracts in place that 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 very clearly state that that in in odd numbered years we're in Decatur and in even numbered years we're in Boone. And so, unfortunately, we're going to go from 2018 to 2022 between Boone Boone shows. But um, you know, whether it's in Boone or it's in Decatur, we are excited to to get back to to live events and and you know it, it's gonna uh, you know I, I expect that the 21 and 22 shows for both farm progress and husker will be will be excellent events just because of the the pent-up demand in the industry in the communities and you know everybody that that's part of these things we're getting a lot of a lot of calls of support from a lot of good friends in, in all these locations I was going to ask you, you mentioned this earlier, uh, questions about uh, exhibitors, whether they would be there or not. Uh, what was the 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 feeling among the, I, I'm sure you had feelings on both sides, but the exhibitors, the majority of them, would they have, would they have come? It, it, you know, it spanned, it spanned, it spanned the gamut, you know, whether from, from big exhibitors to, to, to VIP 10 by 10 exhibitors. It was everything from from one end of the spectrum to the other. It was if you're having a show, we're there, all the way to, you know, we just have to step away in the interests of our employees. We have to step away from the show this year. We'll be right back next year, but but this year we're going to step away. And it was it was all the way across the board. And and it it was a it was a wide enough cross section of the exhibitors that we just didn't feel like what was left. That, you know, and I'm I'm not going to name any names. What was left with a bunch of great exhibitors, but was it enough to call it a great farm progress show or even an adequate show? Um, there, there just wasn't, wasn't enough left there um, to, to, to feel like we were going to do justice for our visitors. All right, uh, Matt, uh, certainly not the conversation we hoped we'd be having, uh, but uh, it's certainly understandable given the, the events that are going on. And, uh, We'll look forward to uh, getting things hopefully back on schedule next year. You got a lot of uh, unexpected time on your hands here this summer that you're not in Boone or Grand Island. Yeah, I can guarantee you my wife's going to get just sick and tired of it. <laughs> I haven't been this home many, this many consecutive days in our whole marriage. Yeah, a lot of that going on. All right, Matt, thanks for the update. We really appreciate it. Take care. All right, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, all right, always appreciate it. Matt Youngman, National Shows Director for Farm Progress. Again, this year's Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa, and Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska, have been canceled. All right, up next, we'll talk weather patterns and trends with Dennis Toddy, USDA Midwest Climate Hub Director. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We are joined now by Dennis Toddy, Director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. And Dennis, I have to admit, I, I feel a little strange about, I was going to ask you about and talk about drought concerns. And where I'm sitting here in west central Illinois, it's been raining 
for a few hours now, and we've had some heavy thunderstorms and quite a bit of rain, so I guess I'm not thinking quite as much drought as I was earlier, but uh, those are still some concerns in parts of uh, the Midwest. Yeah, you are correct. And remember that that drought as well as wetness can be very local. (laughs) You're you're, you're lucky to be in the have areas, and that's the unfortunate aspect is we're going to have some big haves and have-nots over the next couple week period here because you're in that area there's an area from southeast iowa down along the mississippi river uh kind of in the eastern or western kentucky that's getting some very heavy rainfalls right now which is is beneficial although too heavy at some point uh outside that area especially to the west of that area we have some drying conditions in parts of iowa and somewhat in the plains that are probably going to be worsening over the next couple of weeks along with the area. So the places that are getting the rainfall now and adding to that soil moisture base are going to be able to survive this a little bit better. Uh, some of those drier areas have been missing out. Uh, we're going to start seeing some stress kick in as these hot temperatures look along their way here. Yeah, we're, we're going to turn the calendar to July tomorrow. So what is your July forecast? Um well, hot, but that's—I mean—that's that's saying everything in July. <laughs> anyway, right. Um, the, the the new outlook from the Climate Prediction Center will be released this afternoon. But I, I what I expected to see is is really going to be dominated by these first couple weeks of July. Uh, if you've been watching some of the outlooks, uh, warmer than average seems like a very uh, likely possibility from the southern to central plains. Uh, through a good part of the Midwest. So, you know, the, the, the Plains area and Corn Belt look like they have a very likely chance of being warm with some, some extreme heat very possible, uh, particularly through the, the, the middle of July. Um, along with that, likely drier conditions over most of that area. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be a shutoff and nobody's going to any rainfall, but, but, you know, like we talked about earlier, thunderstorms during the, the midsummer tend to be isolated and if you get one you're lucky but not everybody's going to get that so we're going to start seeing more of those issues show up with places where soil moisture is limited um, and if you stop and think too about what's going on at this point in these first couple weeks of july the nash report's coming out and we're starting to pass on corn so a lot of the corn belt is going to be passing right in the middle of this so that's probably one of our, our bigger concerns right now in the middle of this whole stretch. We've seen those concerns uh, in the in the plains areas. Uh, so you see this kind of expanding from there. Um, it, well, you know, it's it, it, real, to a large extent. Yes, I guess I would say that. You know, we the the area you're talking about, particularly Colorado and eastern Colorado, western Kansas, extending down into New Mexico, north Texas, and west Oklahoma, has been this way through all through the spring. We've seen it starting to pop up in the northern plains, parts of uh, of northern Minnesota, where uh, and also we're you know we're seeing worsening in the eastern Corn Belt, Illinois, Ohio, uh, and uh, Indiana. In last week's NASH reports, we started seeing, you know, rapidly dropping crop conditions in the reports. Uh, they got rain over the weekend, and we started seeing those reports bounce back. But, um, you know, the, the, the combination of lack of precipitation, uh, we've probably drawn down a lot of soil moisture in some of the areas that have missed out, uh, you know, like parts of western Iowa, Nebraska, uh, parts of Kansas, you know, we're, we're going to be depleting that soil moisture pretty quickly. And uh, corn 
and corn and soybeans go into high crop water use at this time of year. So I expect to see conditions worsen in this area uh, over the next couple of weeks, I would expect, just because you're combining heat, you're combining lack of precipitation, and that high crop water use time of year. The one thing that is going to happen is, is I mentioned, you know, crops generally are in pretty good condition. Um, it's probably going to be awfully humid throughout much of the Midwest because with the heat, crops are going to be drawing as much moisture as they can from the ground, pumping that moisture out. So we're, a lot of the heat over this area may not be extremely high temperatures, but probably going to be warm overnight lows, lots of, you know, low to mid-70s overnight and, and not getting a lot of relief. So livestock and humans are going to be experiencing some, some stress during this time, too. Yeah, I can uh, I can attest already to some of those high humidity levels. <laughs> that the difference between the temp actual temperature and the feels like uh, number can be pretty significant at times. Yeah, well, and, and that's you know a big change that we saw from early June. You know where we had warmer temperatures pop up, but we had dew points that were only in the fifties then, and it was kind of a surprise. We we you know usually this time of year you start seeing the dew points kick up. Well, we finally had that kick in now. And, and when we have this big ridge of high pressure that's going to sit over us, uh, we're going to see lots of transpiration from those crops and, and pumping out a lot of moisture. So there's going to be lots of moisture around. It's a matter of can we get a thunderstorm to kick off and, uh, and, 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 and uh, produce any thunderstorms along the way. And finally, when, you're check, when they're checking the, the ocean temps, what are they telling us as far as what's developing, what pattern? Sure. Watching what's going on in the Pacific, uh, there was a very rapid transition from we were marginal El Nino conditions to kind of marginal La Nina conditions right now. Uh, to be de- officially declared uh, a La Nina, you have you have to get past a, a certain temperature category, which is half degrees uh, Celsius away from average, and then that needs to expand for several months. So. We're not there yet. We probably wouldn't be declared a La Nina. We have a better chance of that being uh, kicking into the fall. That could be having some influence over us right now. Uh, it could just be some of that typical summertime. You know, we, we have these periodically where we just get a big ridge park in over us and uh, dry things out for us. All right, Dennis, thank you very much. Have a good holiday. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, too, Ed. Take care. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Coming up tomorrow, we'll go over the uh, USDA numbers uh, coming out today, and we'll also have some tips to help you deal with the uh, financial uncertainty of of this ag economy. Stay safe, everyone. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.